Hey guys, welcome back for week two. How many, uh, quick show of hands, how many people is this their first week? How many people were not here last week? All right, cool. Well, if you guys, after at the end, if you just line up over here, we'll do the branding out back. Um, so just maybe make sure you've got ice pack, something like that. So um, I don't know if everybody read it. I did get a chance to read. I'll admit it was a little later in the week that I'd intended to do the reading, but um, very encouraging, excited to get into week two. Um, I've also been trying to think, now that I know about the royalties thing, if there's anything memorable I can do, um, hoping maybe Ken can throw me a few bucks. Um, you know, I keep thinking about that. I, you know, my, my group's had some suggestions. They owe me a few royalties after stories they've been telling on me the last week. So um, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to kick it over to Ken. So if you'll join me. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing all these men together tonight. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to connect, to learn from Ken, and just to be together. I uh, pray that you bring wisdom into the room um, and help us to learn from Ken this evening. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Great job. All right. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you are here tonight? Raise your hands if you're here tonight. Okay. Some of you look around. I'm not really sure what that means, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, this week is actually going to be really, really cool, but I want to start off where we left off last week. How many of you got to read the recalculating part? You just read those two or three minutes. All right. Um, each week I'm going to have something that I'm going to tell you, hey, next week this is where we're going to start and here's what I'm going to ask. Uh, what did Anybody want to share something you got out of that recalculating part, uh, even if it's a thought or a piece in that that you just think, man, that was really meaningful, that I, I got that out of it. Anybody want to share anything? It's a big group, it's hard to say things right out of the gate. Um, I, I love the, just the idea of responsibility, you know, do I need to recalculate a responsibility do I need to recalculate at work? Am I being balanced there? And, and recalculating in the area of desires. And then if you didn't get a chance to read the story, um, I'm just going to say that's a good standing idea to read the stories they have. I've read next week's and it was good. Um, this past, and I'm going to ask the same question, if you got anything out of that story. For those of you who weren't here, basically the story is a gentleman who talked about being in college, meeting his wife, and he kind of had a path. And uh, it didn't work out the way he thought God should have worked it out, dealt with disappointment, got in another career, started struggling with all these recalculating pieces we were talking about, uh, ends up starting down a path, making some very simple decisions that were not healthy, and uh, went into, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm just going to look at a little bit of porn, and then it got into some chat rooms, and then it just went down like sin does. You scratch that itch, and it doesn't go away. It gets worse. Ends up having multiple affairs, losing his marriage, losing everything. And uh, at the same time, I love the part of the story where he basically, and I, and I love this about a men's group. He's like, it's not where I was, but where God, the second I turned and said, God help. Um, God doesn't meet us with, I told you so, you're a loser, you're horrible. He meets us where we, not what we deserve, but what we need. And he said, God showed me where I'd fallen short, that he'd forgiven me, and he gave me a path back to restoration. And it's a really cool story about how easy it is to fall into uh, that and then how easy it is to once we turn how God gives us steps and they may not be they may be simple but they're not easy and when you take them though and uh, God actually restored his whole world did anybody else get any other pieces out of that that I missed yes no maybe so okay that's awesome well yes yes okay Okay. (laughs) 
Careful what you share. Yeah. Okay. For you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so to recap, um, don't talk to your wife about porn stories. Uh, <laughs> secondly, if God gives you a moment where you're like, oh my goodness, how obvious is this that I can help somebody? Go ahead and take the risk and help somebody. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? The guy's going to get a book and go, wow, this guy cares about me. And then second, don't be shocked when God brings things across our paths out of this group. I am convinced, and the reason why I'm here is because I'm convinced that out of this, this group, there's going to be some literally um, eternal ripple effects that come out of this. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of that. I'm super excited about this week. And uh, we, last week we looked at kind of the challenges of where kind of some of our problems came from. This week we're going to look at, well, how did God create us? Why are we men? And if you're on page 24, then you are on the right page and we're going to dive right in to what it means to be a man, and uh, that number one, manhood realities discussed in session one should be a startling wake-up call for us. So today we're going to look at what did God make me to be. We want to bring clarity to our confusion about manhood. And today I'm telling you the simplicity of the very beginning of the, the book that God created, and He created man. What does that mean and what does that look like? So the origin of manhood's design, and I love these two words, and this is where we're going to kind of camp today, is the idea in chapter 1 of Genesis, the very first book, we see God modeled leadership through two specific actions, God created and God cultivated. And there's a really cool word, uh, verse there in Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter of the Bible. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. God intended man to be like him, a creator, a cultivator. He made us to be that way. And we're going to unpack tonight what that really looks like, what that really means. Um, Jesus is not the, the painting and the weak, frail, anemic-looking picture that we see so often. He is the man's man. And uh, God said, hey, I want, you to see you, I want you to see what it looks like to be a man. So in Genesis 1.28... He tells us this, it's in the next verse of that same first chapter, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And bottom line, and I want you to fill in these two blanks, God has created us a mandate to create and to cultivate. 
And I got to tell you, as I've read those, and as I've gone through this, I thought, man, that that challenged me because I've I've seen the effects that some of society's had on me personally in this. Going, wow, am I doing that? Am I taking the initiative? Am I cultivating responsibility and creating? And and so as we unfold, there's some really great pieces here. God created men to be social and spiritual leaders. Underline those. You and I were meant to be leaders on some level in some arena. And we were meant to be social. And I love what he shared about just saying, you know, I ran across somebody from my group and we connected. We were meant to be networkers. We were meant to be that. doesn't mean we're all extroverts. It doesn't mean all have the love language of edification. But it meant that we were meant to be social. We were meant to be spiritual leaders. And number five, when men don't lead, when we don't lead, chaos follows. And if you want to go back, if you weren't here last week, look at last week and see where that chaos is created. Uh, consider what it's like when there's not a father in the home. And I've met guys um, on both sides, and it doesn't mean that that's a, a death sentence to, to children. I've seen some kids that have come out incredibly well. My youngest son came uh, out of a home. We adopted him two years ago where he never knew his father. And uh, one of the main pieces I see in his, his 13-year-old brain is he is craving to know what it means to be a man. Single mom who was a drug addict, abandoned multiple times, and he's just clinging for anything that looks like a man and stability. And it's just, it's just amazing to watch. Um, statistically, children growing up in a fatherless, absent home are more, this is amazing, far more likely, and these are all stats if you look at the bottom out of the National Fatherhood Initiative. To die in infancy, live in poverty, end up in prison, use drugs, be abused, and drop out of school. It is astronomical. It is a multiple percentage higher if there's not a dad in the home. So congratulations, guys. Just you being here, you are making a, a, a huge effect. Number six, masculinity is not about being a natural-born leader. It's about having the courage to just do it, to show up. To be there and care. Those are the two words I throw out all the time. Fatherhood is not, you, you're not going to see it on the news. Uh, today, on, on Channel 6 News, Mike was faithful. He went to work today and he brought home a paycheck and he, he kissed his wife and he acknowledged the kids and he didn't have an affair. Film at 11. You know, it just, it just it's not celebrated. But let me tell you the way God created it. There's something internally that happens when we start taking steps forward and risking and becoming who God designed us to be. There's, there's this fulfillment and there's this satisfaction. There's a significance that just starts to just well up like, man, this is, this is what it's about. So misunderstanding God's design. One, Adam failed in these areas. He did not show the courage to lead. Now, let me just tell you, I don't have any stones to throw at Adam because I have been there. When I read this verse we're about to read, I just thought, man, I've done that with my wife. I have absolutely done that. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, still during the creation. So when woman saw the tree, of good, uh, the tree was good for food, this is the tree of good and evil, and it was delightful in her eyes. She took its fruit and ate. Now, here's the part that's convicting. So she also gave some of her husband who was with her, and he ate. He stood by and went, hmm, well, I mean, I know it's wrong, and I know God said not to do it, but I don't want to get in an argument. It's not worth the effort. I'm going to end up losing and feeling like an idiot. 
I stood back and waited to see what happened. Well, she didn't die, so I guess, all right, I'll do this too. I can tell you that conflict, there's some conflicts worth having. And, and they're not, there's not, it's not about looking for conflict. It's about taking what is right and saying, what am I going to do when I know what's right? When I know I'm supposed to be the leader, the creator, the cultivator. But this, this was very insightful to me. In the garden, so this happens. And in number two, it says, there are two typical misses when it comes to experiencing God's best for our life. So bottom line is, God wants you and I to be fulfilled as men. As, as men, as husbands, as fathers, at work, he wants us, he created us to be fulfilled and significant. That's what he wants us to experience, and he has a plan for it. Now, we shortcut that in two ways. One, it says the way of the fruit. Now, the way of the fruit is basically God said, you can have anything. I've made utopia. I've made perfection. Do whatever you want in the garden, but don't mess with this tree. Because when you mess with that tree, what you're saying is, I am God. I want to be God because what I think is obviously right. So I think I want to have the knowledge of good and evil, and I want to be God. I want to be in control. And when we take that step, and our society barrages us with that. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But I hear this all the time. I heard it started in college, and I haven't stopped since. It's like, well, that's what you say is true. But I, I say, what well, my truth is not your truth, and your truth is not my truth. To which I say, neither of our truth is truth. There is truth. It is not debatable. It's not arguable. It's just truth. That's the definition of truth. If you can argue it, it's an opinion. But truth is truth. And God said, I made this this way. And so when we take that and we say, you know what, I'm going to be God, whatever I think is obviously right. And boy, it doesn't tell you, you can turn on the TV for one time in one week, and you can see our society has decided, well, I'm going to take a soundbite about any topic, soundbite, and I am going to evaluate what I think about that, right and wrong, and I'm going to judge and execute whatever I think is right about that. And, and all media is doing is trying to create controversy, so we'll go, oh my goodness, did you hear about that? And we're going to judge it with a, really out of ignorance. And yet God's saying, hey, no, 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 that's, that's the sin of the fruit. In other words, when we come to the point where we're like, I don't know everything, and, and I do need the truth to know what I am, it makes a difference. There's another part of that, and it's the second, the way of, he calls it the way of the fig leaf. And that's when we do something that we know is wrong, or we do something that we discover was a mistake. And instead of owning it, and instead of coming to God going, man, I messed up, we try to cover it up. And we try to rationalize it and justify it. And we try to say, well, you know what, um, I'm going to cover this. And, and we start moving towards performance. Well, I'm, I'm super good over here, so this must be okay over here. i got to ask this question. I want you to think about where you live. Now, I want you to think about, in a circumference, the 100 men that live around you. And just try to get a mental picture of that. Out of 100 men, I want you to, right now on the top corner of your book, I want you to rank yourself, where you would rank yourself out of the 100 men who live around you, as far as being a man. Do you, where would you rank yourself if you took all 100 men who live closest to you, and you'd rank them on the greatest men to the least men, where would you rank yourself? I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it, write down a number, 1 to 100, where would you rank yourself?
three, two, one. Okay. Now I want to do this as just a little bit of a test because I love this exercise. How many of you ranked yourself? Raise your hand if you ranked yourself below 40. Raise your hand if you believe. Okay, one, two, oh, someone on the sky. Okay. All right. How many of you ranked yourself between 41 and 70? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you ranked yourself above 71 to 100? All right. What skewed out about where it is? Most men, the majority of men, will rank themselves between 40 and 70. And it was the majority. Some of you are above, some of you are below, and, and that's cool. But here's the deal. We see ourselves. Well, how many of you, did you rank yourself as 100? I'm number. I'm 100 out of 100. I'm the man. Did you really? Okay. No, you're on the other end. Okay, you ranked yourself as one. All right. I probably should have clarified that. Worst to best. One is the best. Then I failed to explain the right scale there. That, uh, that was it. So, so most of us rank ourselves lower, but here's the deal. It's not a bell curve. It's not a bell curve. God wants us to see that there is this, this literally great, fulfilling, incredible, abundant life that he created. And he says it a couple times in Scripture. Be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy. Be holy who I made you to be. Don't, don't compare yourself to another standard. Because I know every one of you knows somebody, you're like, well, that dude's a total loser. I, at least I'm better than him, okay? And then we know somebody like, man, I'll never be that good. But here's the deal. That's not the standard. The standard is, are you the man God made you to be individually? And am I becoming that person? Because I love the way God meets us. And if you flip over to the next page, we see kind of how God starts to, to give us the solution. Number one, God cared for Adam and Eve despite their sin. He didn't go to them and go, you losers, get out of my garden, you're, you're, you're terrible. No, and, and three, he goes on and says, the Lord made for Adam and Eve, his wife, garments of skin, and they clothed themselves. They're looking at leaves, and he's like, okay, I know you messed up. Let's take it from here, and the moment we turn, God starts making it better. No matter what we've done, no matter where we are, he starts making it better. Because he's not interested in where we are. He's interested in who he made us to be. And that's what he wants us to, to see. His grace shows up. God has made provision for us through his son, Jesus. And God wants us to be a man. That Jesus was the man's man. And he, again, he's not the picture. I love this word meek when it describes Jesus. In our society, meek equals weak. In God's vocabulary, meek is complete control and power. Complete, i got to get this right, complete power under complete control. That's what meek is. It's all power under complete control. And that's what Jesus showed over and over and over. And as we move on, Jesus was not a model, not only a model to inspire us, but here's the incredible part. He is there to enable us to live it out. I love these two phrases, and I heard it when I was probably a teenager, and it, it just stuck with me. Have you heard this phrase? God loves us unconditionally. Raise, raise your hand if you've heard that phrase. All right. Here's the deal. God's love is completely unconditional. He loves us exactly where we are. We cannot earn his love. And then people go, well, why do I need to do good at all? Why do I need to change? 
Because God loves us too much to let us stay where we are. Because he knows who we can become. He knows the fulfillment and joy and life that he made us to experience. And he knows in a sinful state we can't experience that. I've had the privilege a couple times. Do you guys know who Dan Reeves is? He coached several different, he coached in Denver and New York and Atlanta. He actually, I don't know if you know this, he played for Tom Landry in Dallas. I've actually had dinner with Coach Reeves a couple times, and I didn't know this about him until we sat down at dinner. He told me two things. He says, one, I've, I've literally been in more Super Bowls as a player and a coach than any other player ever, any other person ever. He's been involved in more Super Bowls. I'm like, that's amazing. And I said, you took like three teams to the, to the Super Bowl. He says, yeah. He says, but don't be impressed. The, the, anytime you hear a coach, uh, you took three teams, he says, that means I was fired twice. That's what that means. And I was like, wow, that's a great point. But he told me a phrase that Coach Landry shared, and he said it, it really guided him. And he, they said, Coach, what's your secret? He says, he says, my job as a coach is to get men to do what they do not feel like doing to accomplish what they dream of accomplishing. And that's, that's in a nutshell, in expanded form, what God longs for us. I want to show you the truth that will set you free to become the men that I've made you to be. But there's going to be some parts that are simple but not easy. But every time I ask you to do something, give up something, take on something, it's for your good, and it's going to let you become who I made you to be. And that... That equation is just makes all the difference. So here's the deal. Just like Adam and Eve, we are all sinners. We're better than some, but it's not about comparison. It's about perfection. And here's the deal. I love the way you put it in number five. Our sin is offensive to a perfect and holy God. Think about that for just a second. God said, I made this perfect world. And when you choose to not live by the truth, you're saying, I disagree. I disagree. I, I, God, I think it's this way. I, th I think it's going to be better this way. And you know what God does? He's like, you're free. You're free to do it if you want to. But it's always going to come back around to go, yeah, that, was, that wasn't a good idea. I, I, I regret that. I can tell you in, in 53, 54 years now, every time I've gone against what I knew was right, I regretted it. Every time I did what I knew was right, even if it was difficult, I benefit and thrived from it every time. It's just that's how amazing God is. He puts it in these verses, and, and this really is the good news about God. In Romans 5, 8, God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not asking us to come to him cleaned up. He's like, hey, newsflash, I, I know you're not perfect, and I know you've messed up. I know everything, just so you know. And then he comes to us and he says, righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all, to all who believe. There's another part in Romans that it says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he did what he said he did and rose from the dead, that's the turning point. When we make that decision, he says, you, 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 I'm standing at the door and knock. You open the door. And you just confess you believe that and you invite me in to forgive you and, and live in you, I will. And the amazing part, I love this, in First uh, Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. One. Jesus himself said, I'm the way and the truth and life. 
if you want the way to success in whatever area of life, the right success. You want to know the truth, it's him. You want to have the life to the full, it's through him. As, as the, in John chapter 1, it says, to as many as receive him or accept that, that's when we know that we've got eternal life and we've got the, the proper tools to have life abundant. So in seven, the only, the only place our trust in Jesus can be the salvation as well as the power and the fuel to become an authentic man. And I don't know how you are. Um, when, when I was a teenager, somebody asked me, said, hey, you know, there's a statistic that one out of one people at some point in their life die. I think it's true. Um, it's bared out over time. He says, when you stand before God, and he says, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Now, I, what I said to that question, I think a lot of people would say, I said, well, I'm a pretty good person. I hope I'm good enough. But then if you think about it this long, you've got to ask a question. What's good and what's bad and what's good enough? And if it's good enough, then God, shouldn't we be out there asking God, hey, what's good enough? Give me a list and, and check it off. What do I got to make on the test to be good enough? Or is it a bell curve? Are half of us going to be good and half of us going to be bad? And if that's the truth, shouldn't we be out there trying to make good guys do bad stuff so we got a better chance? Or would that be bad? And see, here's the real deal. In college, well, here's the real deal. What happens if it was the good, bad thing? And we get before God and he puts it on a scale and and it's eternity and we can't go back and we miss by one. Wouldn't that stink? It's like, man, if I didn't cuss in third grade, I'd be in? Dang, man, dog. And and here's the deal. And then I got to college and like, well, we're just all on different roads and we're going to end up the same place. If you believe that, tonight when you leave here, just get on any road. And you'll end up home. Go. You gotta get on a specific road. And what God says is, hey, I made you, and, and you gotta understand the power to become who I made you to be comes from me in you. That's that's when you start to click. It's like when my son, who's a sophomore out of Grand Canyon, he was three years old. I walked out one night, he's in the driveway, he's jumping in the driveway, and it's like he's trying to jump up and grab something. And, and I'm like, buddy, what, what, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I almost got it, Daddy. Almost got it. And he's just, uh, he is just straining and jumping. I'm like, buddy, what? And I'm looking. He's in the driveway. There's nothing hanging over the driveway. I'm like, what are you trying to get? And he goes, the moon. I'm like, the moon. And he jumps again. And he goes, Daddy, I can't get it. You get it, Daddy. And I was like. Okay. I said, you want me to put you on my shoulders? I put him on my shoulders. I held him up. I said, ready? Here we go. And I jumped with him. And I'm like, did you feel it? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, we just got the moon. In reality, God is saying, hey, you can't reach. You can't reach what you don't have the ability to reach. That's why I made you this way, to need me. And when you invite me in, then you have the power to do that. I love the verse in Romans. I think it's 8. 15, where he says that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And I'm like, okay, Lord, if that's in me, because I do believe you are who you said you are, and I do believe God raised you from the dead, and I have invited you into my life, will you help me? And, and he starts to do that. The misunderstanding about manhood, and this, this section here is crazy cool. And we got to move, and we're going to fill them in. The same Mrs. Adam and Eve had, the fruit and the fig leaf, show up in the misses in today's conventional manhood. Men who choose the way of the fruit become childish consumers. 
Our society defines men by what you wear, what you drive, where you live, how you smell. It's what you consume makes you a man. Where God says, no, 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 no. It's what you create. It's what you produce. It's who you are and what you give with what you are that makes you the man. That's the way I designed you. He puts it this way. They, they become, they being those who are men in our society who are misinformed, they become totally obsessed with cheap thrills. What's the next accolade? What's the next idea? We call those guys boys. Men, yes, we're going to be entertained. We're going to go to a ball game. We're going to do, we're going to relax. We're going to be entertained. But that's, that's something we do. It's not how we live. How we live is different. We live to give, not to get. We live to produce. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, tell us that our model Jesus is a life-giving spirit. It's not what we consume, it's what we create, how we add value, what we give, and what we produce. That's the mindset of a man. What am I doing with what I have to give? Am I living to get or living to give? Men who choose the way of the fig leaf become, and I love this, cowards and critics. I would put it this way, critical of everything committed to do nothing. They have a death grip on the obvious and tell you a hundred ways why it should or couldn't happen. But men stand up and just do it. They do something about it. And, and if you want to know who those people are, those critics and those cowards, listen for this. They take pride in what they don't do. They'll give you a list of what they don't do because they are super spiritual. Men don't take pride in what they don't do. They, they take pride in producing and doing what God's called them to be and do. Without a clear understanding of authentic manhood, we will all be tempted to be childish consumers and cowards and critics. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, these would be the legalists, and Scripture would be the Pharisees, those who were like super religious. They knew all the laws, and they talked about the laws that they didn't do. And Jesus walked through the field one time. He said, man, you're, you're, your disciples are sinning. And he's like, what do you mean they're sinning? They're hungry. They're just picking up some and eating. Well, they're harvesting. That's what they're doing. We don't harvest on the Sabbath. That's it. Today, the legalists back in mind when I was growing up is like, I do not drink. I do not drink. Now, in Scripture, it's clear. Don't be drunk. That's dissipation and be responsible. But in Scripture, Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine. And then I had those, and this is a great example. Pastor was like, well, that was just grape juice. And I would go to those pastors and say, well, then explain to me why Paul, why, he's, why Jesus was saying, hey, do not be drunk with grape juice. But that doesn't make sense. He's like, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. But those who are legalists will tell you what they don't do, and they'll impose that on you so that they feel more spiritual. Does that make sense? Awesome. So be careful of those guys. Um, in conclusion, how should we respond to God's mandate to create and cultivate? Number one, trust Jesus as Savior and look to him as our model for authentic manhood. Trust him and trust his truth because he's going to draw us that way. Number two, it gives us it, it gives some categories that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, have courage to live it out at work. 
Ask God, what do I need to be doing here? Be creative with our wives and cultivate that. We'll talk about it at the end. Be a model for our kids. We're going to talk about the big picture, and we'll talk about some different pieces. Um, I'm going to direct you to this, but I want to I want to lead into those questions. We're going to break in the groups. You're going to have 20 minutes to go through these questions. I want to encourage you. The first two questions um, are going to be about three-fourths of the time. The last two are a little bit uh, easier to just kind of be overview-oriented. Um, with that, though, here's the deal. I want to just share this idea about authentic manhood in an in a example. I love to ask a question when I'm around a great leader. Bill was a great leader, is a great leader. Um, officer in the Air Force, Princeton MBA, uh, head of a national organization. And I was playing golf with Bill. And uh, I love, this is one of the questions I love to ask around guys. I'm like, hey, Bill, what's a truth or a principle that you've learned that has really helped you be successful? And he didn't say anything. And we finished that hole, and then we played the next. And we played like three or four more holes, and he gets in the cart after we putt, and he's like, I think I've got your answer. I'm like, Bill, I don't even know what my question was. What are we talking about? He says, the question about the truth or principle. I'm like, yeah, 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 that. He said, Ken, I can, I can tell you this way. He said, I was a young officer in the Air Force. The base commander had given me an entire project. It was behind schedule, and it was over budget. And he wanted to see me in his office. And he said, I spent almost the entire night before getting ready for this meeting. I had my manual. I had all my facts, all my figures. I had the, what, what we could do. And he said, I hauled in there, walk in there. The base commander says, Captain. Says, yes, sir. He said, uh, can I ask you a question? He said, of course, sir. He said, Captain, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? And he was like, excuse me, sir? He says, you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? And he said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't understand the question. He said, I got my binder there, and I'm thinking, I don't remember any of this in the manual. And he said, uh, he said, let me just tell you this. Thermometer has a death grip on the obvious. It can tell you what the situation is. He said, but thermostat. Now, thermostat also has a thermometer in it. But a thermostat is, is connected to resources. And a thermostat decides what is optimal. And it uses those resources until optimal is reality. So let me ask you again, Captain, are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? He said, I'm, I'm a thermostat, sir. And he said, as you were. He said, I didn't report one thing to him. But he was asking, are you a man? Are you going to be a man or are you just going to be a guy who's going to come up with excuses and reasons? What are you going to do from here? And what God has called us to is to take that initiative, that responsibility, to be the man he made us to be. So, I'm going to give you 20 minutes, and we're going to go around the tables, answer those four questions, and then we're going we're gonna to have kind of an action point and a recap at the end. So, you've got 20 minutes from right now. Ask those questions, and we'll get you back in 20 minutes.
You got the wrong one? Yeah, yeah. We're good. All right, gentlemen. Uh, several of you got to the fourth question, and I love this that you were asking the right question. Like, okay, uh, consumer and critic. Uh, we're going back. We're trying to figure out which which one's the good one. And it's like neither. It's uh, which which one do you have a tendency to do like naturally? Because neither of them are good. And uh, I I would put it this way: uh, if you get nothing else out of tonight, as a man, we we live to give, not live to get. And that's, do I live to give or live to get? And here's what I want to do. Just kind of give an overview. And on the board here, I want you to think of one of these areas that you, as you were talking about the first question, which area, and you may not have it, I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody tonight, but which area is one where you've just sensed, man, I, I, I know I need to get better everywhere, but that one's the one where I really want to get better or need to get better or feel need to get better? Would it be in my marriage with my wife? Would it be balancing and maybe integrity at work? Would it be I need to be, man, that whole dad thing right now is really kind of sticking out? Or maybe it's friends? Or maybe it's you're here and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm not really connecting with God the way I should. Or maybe you're even one that says, hey, I'm here. I'm not even sure I am connected with God. Let me just encourage you. That's a great place to start and just be honest. God is not afraid of our honesty. It's, and, and there's been some of the greatest growth points in my life have been, Lord, I, I don't get this. And I'll give you one quick example was with prayer. I'm like, Lord, I, I don't get prayer. I mean, I'm supposed to ask you for things that you already know what's best for me and you're only going to give me what's best, but I'm supposed to ask for that? I, I don't get it. And I literally just got really honest with God. And over the next couple of weeks, God just started to show me, Ken, stop. And it was almost like you're doing it wrong. You're trying to, you're trying to be the, the critic. You're trying to be the, the consumer of here's what I want, give it to me. It's not about that. It's about together. And, and what God brought in my mind, Ken, what are you worried about right now? And I'm like, well, you know, is this with the finances of my wife and this? And, uh, and then the thought came to my mind, Ken, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? And I thought, man, there's this game this weekend. Some buddies of mine are getting together. That's what I'm excited about. And it was like, God, now God's never spoken to me audibly, but he whispered in my heart, Ken, that's prayer. It's, it's getting real with me. I, what are you worried about? What are you excited about? It's, it's not about giving me a wish list and putting in some faithfulness and hoping I, I deliver. It's, it's doing life together. It's letting me be with you in everything. I'm like, whoa. So that, that can be one. Um, with the wife, uh, if that's one of yours, it doesn't have to be a giant step. But here's what I want us to do. Pick one area. So step one, here's what I want you to do. On, in your book, there's this little tan area on page 29. And I want you to write down. You can write down all of these if you don't have one picked out. But I want you to pick one out before you go to sleep tonight. So step one, identify an area that you feel like you would like to get better and experience more fulfillment, significance, or relevance in. Pick one area. 
And step two is going to be, okay, simply this, ask God for wisdom. God, what do I need to do? What's a step? And here's what's going to happen. You're either going to have a friend, you're going to have a thought, you're going to have a verse, you're going to have something come along the lines that shows us what, what it is I need to kind of focus on. And let me give you a couple examples. With my wife, I'm like, Lord, you know, we're just not connecting the way I think we should. So I took the initiative. I'm like, Lord, what should I do? And, well, my wife's love language is quality time. So the Saturday morning when I was in town, I said, hey, kids are still asleep. They can get cereal. Let's go get coffee. Her love language, second love language is coffee. So we sat down, and over coffee, I said, hey, tell me what happened this week. You talked about the week. I said, what's going on next week? And uh, so she told me about that. And then I just asked this question. This is a bold question. I said, is there any area? of our life that you feel like you can't, you don't have the freedom to just ask me about or confront me in because you feel like I think it's off limits. And I, I said, I am not going to respond or react. I just really want to know because I want all of it. And she said, yeah. And I was like, do tell. And she told me that it was with our finances. She goes, I know we talk about it, and I know we have plans, and I know you're doing this, but this happened and this happened and this happened, and she just went through it. And she goes, I just... I don't feel like I know everything. I'm like, okay. So we got in the habit of every Saturday going for coffee. And uh, the next week, I literally went through every account, every pen, everything we had. I printed it on one sheet. I'm like, here's everything we have. And why don't we talk about what's coming up big that we got to pay for? And it became this ritual. I'm like, wow. And it was just that one step, one foot. With work, I'm like, Lord, am I balanced? Am I balanced there? Um, with God, I told you about the prayer piece with the kids. If yours is kids, I would just encourage you, come up with a simple plan to say, okay, you know what, Lord, give me wisdom. I, I don't feel like I'm doing this. For me, it was like, Ken, spend one hour of one-on-one -on -one time with each of your kids. And so I started doing that. And it's just those simple steps. With friends, I didn't feel like, man, I, I know a lot of guys, but I don't have any really great friendships. And so I prayed, and I'm like, you know, what would I really like to do? And I thought of five guys that I really liked hanging out with. I text or emailed all five of them, and I said individually, I said, hey, it's been too long. Can we get together for breakfast or lunch or something? Four of them wrote me back. I had breakfast with three of them. And I just said, guy, I got no agenda. I just want to hear what's going on. And I said, you know what? I just need this. I need to be able to talk about nothing and talk about everything or whatever. Would you be opposed to maybe doing this a couple times a month? And every one of them that responded was like, man, I need that too. And they've become, that's been about five or six years now, and I get together for lunch. I look forward to those times. We talk about nothing. We talk about everything. It's just, there's no agenda. And it was incredible. And then uh, the last piece I want to look at is just the cause. Because I firmly believe that God has for every one of you and me a specific. We're going to see a need that maybe it's with our family. Maybe it's just on our hearts that our family wants to see us lead in meeting a need or a cause or be a part of. It's not, it, it may be saying there's a need. I'm going to be the catalyst of that. But it may be just we need to be a part of that. I don't know what it is, but I know that there's something. And tonight I wanted us to just kind of wrap up, and I'll, I'll pray at the end, but I wanted us to get a glimpse of what that part looks like. And uh, that may be one of the categories that some of you are at now. 
Um, this is a gentleman. It's just uh, two and a half minutes of, of a story like that. So check this out. In the South, college football is a sacred tradition. John Croyle experienced that tradition firsthand as an all-American defensive end at the University of Alabama. A key performer on legendary coach Bear Bryant's 1973 national championship team. In high school, I made All-American in football and basketball. And um, Coach Bryant and other coaches would come to the house and we'd visit and talk and everything. But uh, I had no idea where I wanted to go. But I remember meeting him when I was 15. And uh, he just had this gift of finding already motivated people and steering them the way he wanted them to go. John had the talent and opportunity to play professionally, but an off-the-field experience permanently changed the course of his life. I was 19 years old, and, and I was playing at Alabama, and it was the summer, and I was working at this camp in Mississippi, and uh, I was just an just a old counselor in one of the cabins. And I met a little boy from the streets of whose mother was a prostitute, and he was the banker and the timekeeper for his mom. He would literally knock on the door and say, Mama, I got the money, here's receipt. And the man would go and be with his mom. And I told that little boy how he could become a Christian. He came back the following year and told me word for word what I'd shared with him summer before. I realized I've been given a gift. Not sure what to do next, John visited with his coach to discuss the future. I wanted to go play with the best in the world. And um, I went to see Coach Bryant, and I said, Coach Bryant, I want to get the money from pro football, and I want to start this home for kids. I had been telling him about this ranch from the time I was 19 years old. And he just looked at me, and typical of him, he said, don't play pro ball unless you're willing to marry it. Go build that ranch you've been talking about. That's it. I walked out and never looked back. So John exchanged one dream for a new one, the Big Oak Ranch. Since 1974, John and his wife, T, have cultivated a loving, nurturing environment for children needing a chance. We have eight, uh, eight houses that are, have kids in them, living in them right now. And uh, there's a you know, couple in each house. Um, we call them house parents, mom and pop. Here's our high school boys in junior high and high school. We brag on them on Friday nights, and we got uh, JB games on Tuesday nights, and I better be there. And they'll, they'll literally come get water, and they'll take the thing, and they'll squirt water. And I see them look in the stands, and they'll give me the little heads up because they know I'm there. i got to be. That's, that's what dads do. Your parents or your family can't provide uh, the things you need. The ranch is there for you, and they'll teach you how to become a man, and uh, we'll take care of you on up into adulthood. Every child that's ever lived here with us, including the five-year-old uh, last week to the very first one, they've all heard the same four promises. I love you. I will never lie to you. I'll stick with you till you're grown. If there's boundaries, don't cross them. As parents, as fathers, if we give our children emotional support, truth, security, and discipline, you'll raise a thoroughbred every time. Wow. Wow. I hope that inspires you the way it does me, and not to go out here and change the world tomorrow, but to say, okay, I, I want to be that type of a man. Uh, not what can I get, but what can I give. And this dude's given to literally hundreds, if not thousands of kids, and that just that just blows my mind. I believe that that is within every one of us if we will grab onto that. So uh, your homework this week is to ID an area, pray and ask God for wisdom with something in that area, and then do something in that area, even if it's just I made a plan. And next week when I get up, I'm going to uh, how many of you ID'd an area? 
How many of you asked God for wisdom? How many of you did something? And those are going to be the three first questions next week. Uh, Steve, where are you, Steve? Steve's in here somewhere. There he is. Will you wrap us up in prayer tonight, brother? Pray for us. So I've got a uh, jumping off point for you if you want to tonight. Uh, twofold. One, there's a phone number at the top. That is my phone number. And I, will, I come in on Sunday afternoons normally. Um, if you're interested in grabbing a bite of dinner before you come over here, uh, I'm available for that. I'm meeting with a couple guys tomorrow morning for breakfast after our morning session. Um, there's times where I, I think there's at least two times in the next four weeks where I'll have a lunch available as well. If that's of any interest of you at all, uh, take down the number, shoot me a text and say, hey, when do you have that available? And uh, I'm going to try to get with a few guys. And uh, if, if the friends part of it is part of your world, then tonight there's an opportunity as well. Um, right off of 50 down through uh, Maramont, there's a little place called, I think it's Mac, M-A-C-S, Max uh, Pizza and Pub. There might be a Braves game on. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm going to be there. And uh, I'm going to be uh, ordering a little bit, and I'm going to be there for a little while. I'm not going to watch the whole game, and I'm sure there's a, a football game on as well. But if you got some time and just want to hang, I'm going to be down there. would love to do that. So um, if the church is, and I will be. How's that? What? All right. So uh, thanks for being here. Hey, one last item is if you want to bring a friend, each week is definitely worthwhile being here. But if you got a friend you want to bring, they're also kind of standalone as well, so uh, it, it's worth it. Feel free to bring somebody with you. Uh, did you have anything else, John? <laughs> oh, okay. I was losing the connection there. I, I really was. 17 to 0, okay. So uh, honor system on that. Will you put that at the table where the books are so they can do it if they want to? And nobody knows. God bless you guys. Have a great evening. Thanks for being here.